Welcome to this episode of the Masaro Method. I'm really excited today to welcome John Seifer. John has been a long-standing Russia hand, Russia expert. Really knows his stuff. Uh, I guess it's. I guess it's go. Oh, good to just go ahead and announce it. John, former CIA, real CIA, not 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 some kind of label that I'm constantly. Uh, uh, painted with. So John, John is the real deal, really knows what he's doing. Um, and today, you know, I hope that we're able to jump into kind of the, the big question, I think, as we come up to, um, a very sad marker, a very sad commemoration of one year of full scale invasion of Ukraine as to how the United States and I think our, our NATO allies really, and maybe, maybe more Western Europe than Central and Eastern Europe, but 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 how we got this whole thing so wrong. So, John, thank you so much for joining today to, to help to break this down. But I'm also a NAFO fella and we say there is no CIA. So just you know. that's no, you're, you, I mean, you're right. Yeah, I meant I meant, of course, the Culinary Institute of America, you yeah. know, um, and, and and I've and I've been part of that too, taking a few courses. So <laughs> as usual, uh, please comment, share, like, subscribe, get these videos seen you know, keep the channel growing. So, John, thanks so much. Uh, let's go ahead and, 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 and sign it. Get started. I mean, let's let's start very broadly and kind of break it down from there. But I mean, my my major reflection and I guess I've been all around town this this week and will continue to be all around town this week, as well as all over the Internet, kind of kind of thinking about, OK, what are the lessons from one year of war now? Um, and I think for me, like the really major thing, obviously, there's a lot of practical lessons. How do you do a war? How do you do it? Let's put all that to the to the side right now to kind of mm -hmm. focus on why did deterrence fail so dramatically in this case? I mean, I mean, what was it that I mean, we we thought, first of all, Kiev would fall in three days. We thought the Russian military was much more powerful than it was. We we I mean, we basically were ready to give up Ukraine. I mean, our first response was to evacuate President Zelensky. It wasn't to help them fight. There was this kind of notion that if Russia invaded, we would, you know, uh, 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 create some kind of um, asymmetric opposition. It would be difficult to hold the territory or whatever. I mean, it was it was all kind of fanciful in one sense. How did how did this happen? How, you know, I mean, and, and, and I know that's big. We'll break it down from there. But I mean, just your general thoughts on just like it seems like a really huge error. <laughs> it's definitely a, a huge error and it's it's sort of long standing. And there's some things that sort of led to the problems that led to this war, which are very Western, very American. Um, and then an inability to see Putin for he for who he was. And I think a lot of us, I don't want to say us, but a lot of people who worked on Russia things over the years did. Um, but getting leaders and American leadership to focus on it uh, was tough. And I, and I can think of three things like in terms of leading up. So essentially, you know, from Clinton and Bush and Obama, you know, all the way up through, um, we've sort of gotten Russia wrong. I think there was this general viewpoint in the United States, Americans, as we can see now, are not, you know, really focused on the details. But when the Soviet Union fell, it was sort of this view that, you know, that's all over. They don't have to focus on foreign affairs. Everything's sort of solved. They're eventually going to join the, the family of nations and things are going to work out. And then I think when 9-11 happened and there was such a focus in the United States on terrorism and 
the U.S. government sort of really pivoted to, to the Middle East and f focusing on terrorism. And when Putin would do malign and awful things, it was almost like a, an irritant and we just wanted it to go away. And we would say, you know, eventually if we just explain things to him better and if we just try to, you know, give him this one thing, he'll come around. You know, obviously he wants his country to be wealthy and he wants them to eventually join the West. He, it's just slow. So if we, you know, let's let's not push hard here. Let's let him go. And then we can focus on Afghanistan or terrorism or what have you. And th this went on for a number of years. And, and we never pushed. You can, th you can think of Bush looking into his soul. You can think of Obama right. saying the reset. And it's it's a very American thing when there's a problem for us to just say, well, everything will work out. Everybody wants what we want. Um, you know, it, the problem is probably us communicating. We just need to communicate to him better. You know, what we want makes so much sense. If we just communicate it better, he's going to want it. But the thing that people who focus on Russia and on Putin for a long time is he never wants what we want. He has been consistent. He consistently hates the West. He consistently wants a powerful, strong and expanding Russia. He consistently gets involved in malign activities to try to undermine the West, to try to sow chaos, suborn, sabotage, you know, disinformation, all these kind of things to push into his neighbors and these type of things. And we effectively have never pushed back for a variety of those reasons. And there's another one. I think American leaders, you know, presidents come in and this is even Joe Biden and, and Obama. You come in and they're like, OK, our, our policy, Putin's not understanding our policy to Russia doesn't seem to be working. And it's sort of like, well, that's because they haven't seen me yet. The previous guy. Right. You know, they, they sort of screwed it up. My wonderful personality and power of whatever is going to fix this thing. And and, you know, frankly, that's that's inwardly looking rather than looking at Putin for what he is. Putin, again, has, has been consistent. He's been exactly what <laughs> he's been saying these things out loud since at least 2008 in Munich or 2007 when he ever made that speech. And so yeah, uh, we've gotten it wrong. I, it's, I mean, it's a great it's a great point, John. And it's also kind of like every for the past. What is it for? Clinton, Bush, Obama, Trump, and Biden, actually. Five yeah. presidents. Every single one goes and sees Putin within the first year, basically. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like a, it's almost like a, yeah, I got to go and make nice with the Russians. It's very, it's very strange. We still, we still call them summits like we did during the Cold yeah. War. Yeah. Summit is the two top leaders at the top of the right. thing. Right. Making the decision in our world. In a sense, we send the wrong signal to Putin that he we is. We do. He is the, you know, one of the two great superpowers and, you know, what he says goes and the two of us can decide what happens around the world. And, uh, you know, I think we've we've we have mishandled it over the over a number of years for sure. Yeah, I mean, and there have been a few. I mean, there's been you, Fiona Hill, Alex Vindman. There's a, there's a few others. But I mean, there's also obviously been a another trend, right? There's been there's been a lot of people around town. And a lot of thinkers and a lot of people in administrations who really did believe in the Russia reset and believed in uh, engagement philosophy or Wandel Deutschhandel or I mean, I mean, was this notion that if we just integrated Russia, they'd become like us? I mean, I mean, is there is that just superficial or was there was there essence to that? I'm sure there's people who who believe that. I mean, the Germans certainly believe that if we yeah. just do enough business with them, you know, money talks and, it, and they're going to come around. But it's sort of when you're dealing with a sort of a criminal regime where they're where they're they and their cronies are stealing all the money and then they use whatever excess money 
dirty money to, to suborn our own places from the inside. I just think it was is a laziness, a failure to see Russia for what it what it really was. And at the end of the day, there's a couple of things about Putin that are really critical. One is his KGB background. He's a Czechist by nature. Which, yes. And I, we can talk about that, what that means. And then also he's got that gangster bully mentality. Right. And so a bully is looking for weakness. He's looking for things to take advantage yeah. of you. And so there's a number of things aside from us thinking the Russians will come around. There's also the every time he's pushed, we have not pushed back effectively. And he sees that as weakness. It's like, OK, if I pushed and you didn't push back, I can go further. I can go further. And then I'm sure he's read a number of things. He's seen the chaos in the United States, how we're attacking each other. He sees sort of a Germany and France who have essentially been inward looking and weak over in the sense of national security against Russia over the years. And then, you know, us pulling out of Afghanistan was a, a true embarrassment and sort of suggested yeah. that the United States is not interested in playing hardball and, and operating around the world. All these things sort of came together with his crazy historical messianic view to lead to what happened a year ago. Yeah. So so I guess there's let's let's keep focusing on Putin for a little bit, but then I want to talk about kind of Russia itself in a sense. But 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 with regard to Putin, I mean, it seems really clear that we had the knowledge in town to understand Putin. I mean, you know, I, I obviously, you know, I've said it, you've said it, others have said it, you know, it, what you just said right there and that like we have provoked in a sense, Putin through demonstrating consistent weakness and essentially not putting down red lines. I mean, there's there's a hundred one could name. One could name the invasion of Georgia in 2008. One could name the the mass killings and bombings in Syria. One could name the the original invasion, the beginning of actually this war in 2014 when he invaded Ukraine. I mean, I, I've I've tried to think about Putin. I mean, people want to call him irrational now or something, but in fact, he's highly rational. We've 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 constantly demonstrated weakness. Therefore, he thought he could get away with this. And what he misjudged were the Ukrainians. But but in any case, I mean, why why has that never resonated, though? I mean, I mean, it's been I mean, people keep talking about it. they talked about it. I mean, as long as I so you've done this a lot longer than I have, John, I've, I've been at this for a decade, um, you know, and, and, and since I've been working on this, I've been advised of this axiom, you know, that 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 weakness is provocative to Putin. And yet I've never, ever in my whole life, seen an administration, and I've been through three, you know, operate according to this axiom. So, so why doesn't it resonate to Americans? It's just not the way we we look at the world. And you know, I think in the Europeans too, after World War II, there's sort of this view that if we just regulate things and we focus on the economy and we'll all move forward, it's just not a Western way of thinking. This cold, cynical. Russia has been a you know essentially a tyranny for hundreds of years. Yes, they've repressed their people. Um, they've had to, you know, use the, the, the government sort of uh, ownership of, of violence to keep to keep, you know, opposition down and this kind of stuff. It's just a different mentality. If you want to, we can go back and talk sort of Russia East stuff. Yeah. But there's, but there's also we don't understand Putin. Putin, you know, I mentioned he's a Czechist. Right. And so in regimes like Russia and frankly, like China that came out of revolutionary roots. Right. So so. You know, Lenin, Stalin and Trotsky, that's not their real name because they operated. They were underground right. revolutionaries fighting against the czar for years and years in and out of prison. They were essentially terrorists. Right. They were trying. And what, what a terrorist yes. do? They can't take your head on. What they do is they look for your weakness. They try to find political victories. They try to damage you and from the inside. So when they took over in 1917, the first thing they did is create this this 
security service, internal and external, which with which they said right from the beginning, it must be stated clearly, this is a terrorist organization. Our job is to keep the leadership in power at all costs. And so it was all about making sure there's no opposition, killing off any opposition inside, and eventually became overseas working too to try to to weaken their enemies from the inside because you know they saw themselves as terrorists as weak and therefore they had to continually do these things. And so that Czechist mindset is something Putin grew up with. So it's been this, they've been this nonstop war against the West. Um, and there's been a lot of times in our history where we were either so big or so focused elsewhere that we just, it was an irritant, but it wasn't worth, you know, no president said it's not worth sort of going after. And then actually post-Soviet Russia is like, you know, it's, it's you know, they're, they're it's growing pains and they're going through things and they're not that big and that important. We don't have to really push back. But, you know, we've seen that what happens when, when you, you don't treat a bully like a bully. Right. So so would it be would it be fair to say there's an enormous amount of continuity between the Soviet mentality and, you know, Putin and, and the way that, that Russia... I mean, my living on now is I go now I living because I don't get paid for it and stuff, but, I, but going around <laughs> to speak to groups and stuff. It's exactly the same. It's exactly the same. Putin yeah. is a KGB person through and through. His mindset is about subversion and sabotage and disinformation and keeping people sort of off balance, you know, even the assassination piece, I'm sorry, my dogs are making noises. Oh, here. no worries. Even the assassination piece, you know, if you go back, you know, I know you've gotten some pressure for talking about Stepan Bandera, but if you look at the assassination of <laughs> Stepan Bandera in Munich, and there's that book, The Man with the Poison Gun, um, about that assassination, which at the time they thought he just had a heart attack and died. It turns out the KGB had used a special yep. poison gun to assassinate him <laughs> in, the, yep. in Munich. It's if you just switched out the names, maybe of Skripal or whatever, who someone more recent, it's the same stuff. It's it's liquidation of enemies of the people. It's it's, you know, trying to keep any potential opposition down, any nationalist feelings down. And, and it's ex, it's exactly the. I mean, Lit, Litvinenko, I mean, there was just the very early. I mean, this has been going on for decades. And I mean, it's been. You know, it's been in the UK. It's been in it's been in Berlin. It's been in Washington, apparently. I mean, I mean, there's just been so I, I don't know. I just it's so bald faced. I mean, to some extent, we it feels to me. OK, I mean, and I'm, I'm interested in your view on this. I, I don't know if but if it feels to me, it's willful. It feels to me there had to be some level of, yeah, we know. But, you know, this is the, this is. This is how it is, and it's better to keep him contained. And it's this kind of, you know, you know what it's reflective of to me is this, this, you know, so-called great power thinking, where it's like, oh well, Russia does this kind of stuff, and well, they've got nukes, so we kind of have to deal with it. I mean, I, you know, to, to what extent is it really more one, a problem of, yeah, we know, but we're, <laughs> but we're ignoring it because. You know, because it's, it's work, because it's hard. It's work, and, yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, there's thinkers on our side too, like Jack Matlock was president, was a, was an ambassador in Moscow. You you see his writings now. He can't get over that mindset of great superpowers. Like we should all be dividing up the world, and we should be treating these the same. And we have right. To, we have to give we have to give him his sphere of influence because we have our sphere. And so it's like, like they've just taken away from these countries, like in the Eastern Europe and stuff. Any right to exist, it should be us and the Russians who decide these things. And I think that's 
that's nuts. Like, just to give an example about what we we're just talking about in terms of the sort of Russian mentality and how it hasn't changed. I remember George Kennan was sort of apocryphal in the United States when, when a new U.S. ambassador would go to Moscow all through the Cold War and even beyond. He was up at Princeton as, you know, after he had retired from the State Department and he was a professor up there. And everyone, every new U.S. ambassador getting ready to go to Moscow would make a trek up to Princeton to see Kennan. And reportedly, Kenny would say the same thing to every one of them. It's like, what you need to know to prepare to go to Moscow um, is to go into you know, the Firestone Library, any academic library, and pull up any book from 18th, 17th, 18th, 19th century Russia. Read that. And that's all you need to know about today's Russia. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, even during the Soviet Union, it was supposed to be a communist state. He's like, go back and read, you know, 18th century. And, and that's all you need to know. It's exactly. Totally. The- totally. And that and that's I mean, that's that's actually the foundational argument in the long telegram, right, is is actually that screw communist ideology. This is still just the Russian Empire <laughs> and it's going to act like the Russian Empire, you know, and that's the I mean, that's that's, I guess, um, I guess something in a sense new or at least something that had been uh, pushed under the rug for 30 years. I mean, uh, you know, now that we've started listening to Ukrainians and Poles, you know, and, and, and there's kind of this 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 emergent kind of, oh, wow, the Central and Eastern Europeans were right about all this, you know, like, what are, so what do they have to say? Well, what they have to say seems to be, well, it's been the same thing for centuries over there. You know, there's 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 absolutely no difference, you know, so I, well, I mean, I mean well, the NATO, the, 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 the NATO expansion is not expansion. It's countries wanting to protect themselves. And, and you can argue that a, a real strategic mistake was to tell the world that that we were interested in Georgia and Ukraine joining NATO and whatever it was, 2009, and not putting them in. So essentially, you held them out there to the Russians saying, you know, invade them. We're going to join yeah. NATO. You better do something about it before we get them in there. And, you know, essentially, if we had just put them in, then we probably, you know, Russians probably would have had to think twice and not have invaded. But I mean, the extent to which... This knowledge was there, but it was ignored. It's just wild to me. I mean, you know, it's like because these mistakes are absolutely right. I mean, it's it is worse by half to 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 do what we did, which is to say they're going to be a NATO if you don't invade. Then, you know, I mean, I mean, and, and we, well, should have, we, love, we should we love to blame ourselves and Putin. The one thing about the Russians, they, they still have a larger intelligence service. You know, we're the, we're the richest and biggest country in the history of the world, and we have a smaller intelligence service than the Russians do, who have an economy like the size of, of Portugal or something, right? And so the one thing they do is they do understand us in the sense that, the, you know, they look for our weaknesses. They know where our weaknesses are. And so they've, they've been really good about creating these narratives about and been very consistent. Yeah. NATO expansion, NATO expansion. You guys are treating us bad. So I think there's a lot of Americans and actually like well-educated Americans who think, well, the problem is we treated Russia poorly in the 90s and we took advantage of them and we tried to push up to their borders. I was in Russia in the 90s. We were trying to do everything we could to bring them into the family of nations. We were trying to help in Absolutely. every possible way. I worked in the CIA, the place that they're saying, oh, we were trying to destabilize them and, and exploit, exploit them and ruin Russia. That's simply not true. First of all, the CIA is too small and doesn't have that ability to do it. There's this sort of weird conspiracy thinking. And number yeah. two, it was just the opposite. Our policy was to try to to try to embrace Russia, bring him. We brought him into NATO partnership for peace. We tried to bring him into, you know, all these. There, uh, James Severides has an article today, I think, in Business Week, talking about how much we work to try to help and bring in Russia. And it just doesn't. It goes against this narrative that somehow we mistreated Russia and therefore yeah. this. 
we're it's our own fault now we're just getting our own just desserts it's an absolutely outrageous claim and 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 now you look at all we did to try to i mean in in the euphoria in the immediate aftermath of the cold war which you know, I mean, looking back at it, you wonder if we should have proclaimed the Cold War over. I mean, they 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 clearly didn't see it that way. You know, I mean, but but you know, I, I, it it is an outrageous narrative. You know, and and now and now you almost regret that we did so much because now it's like, okay, we actually deeply integrated them in all of these institutions, all of these international institutions. We integrated them economically. We provided them a lot of different outlets through which to to push their asymmetric. We were putting them in the G8 when they had like a economy right. that was like really G52 or whatever it was. It's yeah. Like, I remember uh, in Moscow years ago, speaking to a think tanker who'd been like, a, you know, senior person in the Gorbachev regime. He says, the problem is here, this is the 90s, is that we lost a war. We lost the Cold War, but we didn't really lose a war. Like in a sense, yep. if you'd lost a real war, all of these people that were, that would have been gone and what we would have had to really radically change things. Essentially what you did is we just left the same people in charge. So, the, you know, Putin and the KGB guys, you know, the nineties was a wild west period. A lot of the institutions were suffering, but the KGB never suffered because they dealt with, the, they had the communist party money. They dealt with the foreign banks. They dealt with the smuggling. So they continued to actually hold together. They had money that they could continue to use. And, and they sort of remained apart. They did exactly what they and then Putin and all of his friends from the KGB sort of when they had their opportunity, almost re, retook power. And so, yeah, Soviet Union fell. But some of those same sort of that same thinking continued in key well, places. Well, in one sense, it was really unleashed because whereas <laughs> this money never could have reached certain pockets in the West before because it would have been taking Soviet money. Now this money was welcomed. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was okay. like yeah. it was like it was like overnight. It switched from. We can never take that money. We can never touch that money to, oh, yeah, come on, come on. You know, we'll take as much of it as we can. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's that's been that's been my focus, as you know, for a very long time is that level of money. And it's it is everywhere. It is in universities. It is in think tanks. It is among it is in Law Silicon firms, Valley. Banks. Yeah. Like, well, Bill Browder, it's interesting. So, I mean, he's an interesting case. Right. So he's you know, the people who were paying attention eventually figured out like he didn't at first he was happy to play that game and take Russian money. And, and, you know, you know, he was a Putin supporter up to the early 2000s. And then, of course, you know, when the, he realized what was going on and the sort of massive theft and the criminal activities and had to eventually break from it and then sort of saw the light and has now spent years trying to push the Magnitsky Act and these kind of things. Um, there, but there's still a lot of people who still think the old way that, yeah, you know, it's just it's just another country and, and their money's as good as anybody else's. Yeah, it's I mean, it's it's outrageous, especially at this point. We've really got to we've really got to look at it as Soviet cash again. You know, um, so so let me ask you, John, um, obviously, you know, I, I have been, I think, very openly uh, critical at times of, of, of the pace of the supply of weapons and everything else over the last year and, and, and kind of how slowly we walked into this. I mean, you know, I, I was happy with. The immediate first three weeks where it seemed like we were being very serious. And then we sort of ran out of steam almost. It was like, wait a second. You mean we can't sanction them out of Ukraine? <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. and then and then we sort of ran out of gas. But OK, now, I mean, it seems like we're in slightly better position. You know, a lot of different forms of aid have been opened. And of course, President Biden went to Kiev, which which to me is symbolically really mm -hmm. important. Yeah, it's late, but but he went there, you know, and that and that's and that's big. So, I mean, I want to ask you. You know, going forward, now that we've had 30 years of pretty disastrous policy toward the region, I mean, what are the key 
things that the United States needs to learn from this and walk away after a year of war, a year of a war that should have been prevented, first of all. And second of all, I don't think we appreciate just how much danger we were in if Ukraine didn't fight. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we would have had a NATO conflict on our hands, you know, um, at which point we would have had to make a very hard decision. And we realize you know? how what a good decision we made to bring the Baltic states into. Oh, yeah. They, they would have been even weaker in a position to get. He would he would be in the Baltic states right now if mm-hmm. the Baltic states weren't in NATO. Absolutely. One hundred percent. So I think, yeah, I think Biden going to Kiev and then speaking in Poland was a big thing. And he's saying the right things. And I think. It's maybe taken longer than you and I might have liked, but I think, you know, the United States hasn't been involved around the world and we get, I think a lot of Americans are sort of tired of, you know, Afghanistan and Iraq and Vietnam, la, la, la. and it's hard sometimes to see the true historic changes, the true places where you need to take a stand. And this, I think, is one of them. I mean, Biden's been in government for 50 something, 50 years. He's been through all these kind of things. And, you know, there's only a few times when it when, you know, our values are at stake and our place in the world, our meaning the West, not just the United States, really is at stake. And this is one of them. This is a clear case of just bullish, horrible, you know, invasion, oppression. You know, you have to stop it. You have victory is you have to win. Like it isn't like a, you know, like these other things. We can just sort of half go into Afghanistan, and we can half go into Iraq. Wherever this this is something, the West and has to win, and the Ukrainians are willing to fight for us, and so we should be giving them everything that we can to to win. And now we have no excuse with Putin. Yes, we misread him for twenty years, but now it's clear exactly who he is. He is never going to back down until he loses. He. The only thing he cares about is staying in power. And then you could say staying rich, whatever it is. And so unless we can threaten his ability to maintain power um, as a dictator holding a place, he's going to he can continue to cause great pain and will continue. to push. he's not going to change. He's not going to decide to negotiate out of, you know, friendliness or anything. He has to lose. He has to be so scared that he's going to be strung up that he pulls out and he finds a way to, to protect himself. And so. It's a historic turning point. It's a place where the United States and the West has to say, okay, put everything else aside. We have to win here. Like we can't just, you know, pay a little bit of money and hope things sort of settle down. Right. And, and, and what does winning mean? Uh, I think it means kicking Russians completely out of completely. Yeah. yeah. And, and, or, you know, again, threatening Putin's hold on power such that he, pulls back from those places and you know or he is taken over and killed by his own people or whatever like so i mean there's no 100 percent right answer to that but but he's shown that he doesn't care about russian lives he's willing to throw you know meat into the grinder hoping that i'll we will become weak you know he's buying for time that the west will be bored and give up like it always does and therefore you know if he's willing to give up a million russians yeah you know, as long as I win, but we have to make it clear that that game won't work. You're, you're, you are the one that's going to lose power. You are the one that's going to lose here. And that means giving the Ukrainians ability to, to really bloody the nose of the Russian military. Uh, yeah. And I mean, I'm really, I'm sad to say we've given them, we've given them reason to believe we would yeah. back off, you know? Um, but I th- yeah. I do think, I do think over the last year, I mean, I'm, I'm, 
I mean, I go back and forth on this, but where we are right now in late February, I mean, we've we keep making progress, not as fast as we should, but 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 I mean, we're we're getting there, you know. Well, I think it's interesting, uh, you know, just in terms of how how someone like Putin thinks, a bully thinks, or whatever. It's all about power. It's all about never showing weakness. But just think about so the White House contacted the Kremlin about Biden's trip and said, "We're coming there." If you guys even think about sending missiles in or whatever like that, there must have been there must have been an implicit threat like, motherfucker, we're going to change the whole thing. And he got the message, right? He got the message. He's the tough guy. It's his thing. We're fighting the West. We're fighting NATO. But when NATO said, if you do this, you're done. He said, oh, okay, I got it. You know, well, well, but forget that we're the big dog. Like, yes. He came in. It's that same mentality that the Czechists and the Bolsheviks said. They were we, they were terrorists. They're weak. They go for your weakness. They continue to try to undermine you because they can't take you on head, head on. Um, but what happens is often, you know, so he does all these pinpricks and we back off. At some point, it's just raw power. You have to say, you know, yeah. we are the big dogs. Here's what's going to happen to you if you if you overstep. And he'll get the you know He in the past has backed off when he saw raw power. Well, we negotiate with ourselves, right? Which is what this whole with the whole circular escalation debate has been about. You know, I mean, I mean, you know, when people say escalation, what they mean is the use of nuclear weapons. And Russia is not going to use nuclear weapons because we send Bradleys or Abrams or Leopards. I mean, they're not going to use nuclear weapons because we have nuclear weapons, which has always have, been the case. They sent weapons into war zones where the Americans were fighting. They sent absolutely and planes into Korea and Vietnam. Yeah. And they Saddam Hussein and stuff like you know. You know they they know this game very well, and they know where the lines are, and they know where if they step too far, they'll be defeated. Yeah. So it's. I mean, I I couldn't agree with you more. I I mean, we we really should just send everything. There's no risk. I mean, we're we're literally letting Putin play his game again with yeah. our you know with us with our. This is this is his game as he tries to f- scare you into into doing what he wants, and and we can't allow that to happen. John, thank you so much. Uh, you're 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 a font of great knowledge and wisdom. Really appreciate you providing it on this show. My pleasure. Keep doing what you're doing. I know it's it's you know it's an uphill battle, but this I think this is a historic time, and it's really really important. And frankly, you know, aside from this, the horrendous pain that the, the Ukrainians are suffering and others, I know the Russian people are getting screwed in this. Now they've gotten screwed for hundreds of years by bad leadership and repression and all these type of things, but you know their economy when it comes out of this is going to be, you know, 10 years behind every, or at least 10 years behind the rest of the world. And Russians are going to be, are seen as you know, around the world as in, and all the brains are leaving the country and Russians are dying and, and the, their leadership doesn't care at all about them. And so, you know, yeah, yeah, there's no history of Russians putting their head up above the parapet because it gets cut off. So we can't count on that or expect that. But at some point, Russians got to realize that, you know, this leadership is failing them miserably. Yeah. I mean, at this point, all we can do is help Ukraine as much as we possibly can help Ukraine win and isolate Russia. But but beyond that, I mean, I <laughs> I mean, well, I don't scary, internal like, to Russia. That's up to Russians. You know, I mean, I, I hope the, the Soviet days, there was a Politburo. So if the leadership was particularly bad, there was a way to change leadership or there you know, now there's nothing. Putin has created a system where there's no opposition. There's no 
it's him or nothing. And so, you know, after the Soviet Union, we avoided the horrible civil war like in Yugoslavia that could have happened in the Soviet space. And now he's that's another thing he's risking. The way he's doing this is such that it's like if I'm not in power, we could have this horrible, horrible, bloody civil war. It's like, well, you've you've now actually, you know, he's made it more likely than ever. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, if there's no that's it. This is a this is classic autocracy history for thousands of years when there's no succession plan and the leader dies. There's war. I mean, I mean, it's like, you know, almost every single case. I mean, you go back to the Byzantine Empire or whatever, you know, I mean, it's just all over the place. So. Mm-hmm. And that's what he's done. So he's really set Russia up for utter disaster. Yes, he uh, is. Yeah. Thanks again, John. <laughs> My pleasure. Good to see you. Bye-bye. All right. Talk soon.